Hey, this is Coach Freddie here, inspiring people to do things that inspire them, and welcome to the I Have for Evolution, where we'll be discussing the benefits of growing and using industrial hemp for people, planet, and profit. Conversations about the history, legalization, farming, harvesting, processing, building, manufacturing, investing, and how industrial hemp can benefit people's lives, heal the planet, and how it can be used to make thousands of products and boost the economy and business. So, are you ready to join the iHemp revolution? Hey, this is Coach Freddie, and I'm here at Hemp in a Holler, and I'm going to be having a conversation here with Greg Lee. He's been involved with the hemp industry for a long, long time, and he just got here, so I thought I'd give him a little holler here, and um, Greg, how you doing today? Doing great. Well, nice weather for hemp and holler here with Michael Lewis and everybody putting this on, you know. Yeah. 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 So t tell us a little bit about yourself, Greg, and, and how you got involved with hemp and when that, when that, when that happened. Well, I guess I was really born into it, you know, because I was raised, born in Kentucky, if that makes any sense. <laughs> yeah. But uh, when I was about seven or eight years old, uh, I remember uh, hemp was going out in 1959, so I was born in 52. Mm -hmm. So I was about seven or eight years old, and Jen was telling my grandfather in his shop where I worked, where I lived at and worked with my grandfather that hemp was going out. So that was my first encounter. I said, you get high off of hemp and all this other stuff, and was telling my grandfather about how sailors were smoking it on ships and stuff. That was my first accounting. Well, so as eight or nine-year-old, I went out and cut me off a piece of uh, rope from my grandfather's because us kids were smoking anything and everything. We were smoking butts <laughs> out of the ashtray, corn silk, back around out of the barn, you know. So <laughs> I got a little piece and went out to the neighborhood kids and said, let's smoke this. Well, we smoked it and nothing happened. So years later, and I got about 16, 17 years old, some of the first marijuana I was uh, was turned on to was old wild hemp. And so it didn't take me long to catch on. Years in Vietnam, coming back to a, to a nation of, uh, of uh, hippies that I grew up in, and marijuana just at your disposable, you know, disposal. Yeah. So uh, hemp was no big deal for me. But what really iced the cake was uh, I was in Florida uh, and back several years ago and went to a place called the Environmental Circus. Tobacco was going out in Kentucky and uh, so there was a lot of things that's happening. So when I went into Environmental Circus at a head shop of the 60s, there was a hemp shirt in there, 55 hemp, 45 cotton. So I asked the gentleman, I said, isn't this illegal? I said, it is in Kentucky and he laughed at me. It was about nine o'clock in the morning and I just, I just turned and I was walking to the door uh, a vision came to me, or whatever you want to say, epiphany. Said, "This is what you'll do the rest of your life," and that was in 1993. Ah. And so, from 1993, I come all the way back home, and I was the chairman of the Democrat Party for my county, and I let that use be my be my uh, uh, name, if that's what you want to say. You know, you give me some backing. You know, these yeah. Democrat Party chairman, I got a Democrat governor, and so it wasn't long. I remember after that, 1993, 94, history gets away from me. It wasn't long after that, Bird and Jones, who was a Democrat governor, he signed uh, the governor's task force on industrial hemp, along with the help of Joe Hickey, Andy Graves, and, and uh, Dave Spalding that later come on. But one of the main reasons that uh, I called on to it is because, in the vision, 
was the shirt. We were losing 200 jobs in my hometown, a sewing factory. Uh, and so I yeah. seen everything. And so in my vision, in my epiphany, everything that I seen in there that would happen, happened in seven years. And I couldn't, and to this day, I'm still astonished by it, that we took a crop that was illegal and we ended up sewing it in my hometown and sewing shirts at a sewing factory there from hemp that was imported from China. And so that's, that's a big turnaround. And I think one of the other things is from where I started at on Duval Street, everything becoming illegal, that now I have in, have in law Kentucky Heritage Hemp Seed, that I'm proud owner of a variety of hemp seed that's certified through the Department of Agriculture and has been grown here in the state for heirloom seed. And I think for anybody that's done anything, not just patting myself on my back, but nobody else is going to, you know, taking something that's totally under a rock and nobody wants to talk about it, changing the identity of it from marijuana to hemp and doing all that crusade for all of that and, uh -huh. and getting it changed yeah. and then coming up and owning a seed variety is an undertaking. It's almost like somebody want, doesn't want to be a doctor becomes one, you know. You're here at Hemp and the Holler, and I know you're a big supporter of this whole industry. Where do you see you getting something out of this whole event here? Uh, what I see out of the whole event is there's hemp growing right over my shoulder here <laughs> in this field. And yes. so that's, that, that's what it was all about for me. Yeah. You know, developing the industry, I could see that, um, what I would like to get out of it. And I was telling some people earlier that, uh, I've stayed away from it for several years, not, not growing anything, just seeing that the variety that I've got and that's well taken care of and it's grown certified organic and some of those regulations are set up with those seed and uh -huh. put in the proper people's hands you know yeah because uh, there's very little organic hemp seed in the united states period let alone any seed at all so these are heirloom seed and so if we can uh get industry to come in here and work with us you know at hemp in the hollow you bring people together it's like-minded that's in the industry yeah. What we need to do is leave here with the understanding that I need to start making some cold calls. So I would like to see 10 farmers, for example, that could have a 1,000 acres that I could work with and say, hey, you all aren't growing any hemp at all. Would you like to? And they'd say yes. Then I would be the broker to talk about the industry to an industrial company that's outside the hemp industry because that way I can get a contract with those, with that company, say for making plastics, and then having ten farmers sitting back here, or five growing the acreage for this industry, uh -huh. and that's what's missing. Yep. There's people that comes to me and says, "Well, can we get money from the hemp industry?" Well, you can't get money from the hemp industry. There's people that comes to me all the time. Do you know anybody in the hemp industry that will help? Well, the people in the hemp industry themselves are taking their money and trying to make their own money. So you ask me, where is it that, that I fit in? I fit in because this crop's over my shoulder, but it's going to a, it's going to a smaller cause. My cause is, is going something a little bit bigger where you can make plastics from it and have a corporation like Ford or UPS for fuel or, or, uh, uh, boxing. Uh, a lot of things that could be done that comes yeah. into this and say, hey, we want to work with economic development. We're going to work with the farmer. We want to come in here. We want a cellulose base. We'll help put up the plant. We want pasteboard for our pasteboard industry, for UPS, for, for all these companies that use cardboard. And it can be done.
Yep. You know, all of this that I'm talking about can be done in at our fingertips. It's just the idea that there's companies out here that wants to grow hemp, or not grow hemp, but they want something in their industry from hemp, and nobody's calling them. I can't see it happening. You know, if uh, I went to a high-level meeting at University of Louisville here back several months ago, and uh, I thought it would be more high-level than it was, went in, and it was uh, the choir. You know, it was the hemp choir. And so a lot of people was growing, a lot of people there were suspicious and stuff like that. When I thought the University of Louisville, and not taking anything against them, thank God they had it, but uh, would reach out for industries that could uh, that could maybe follow suit or work with farmers growing this crop for a bigger development. Yeah, bigger development. And that's what's yeah. that's what's missing that I see in the industry. We need to go outside of it and call and call these people and get in touch with them. Okay, one last question, uh, Greg. Uh, in one year from now, we're just starting to plant hemp. In one year from now, where do you see? Because a lot of people are getting into this. Where do you see the end industry? Just in one year next summer well there is a lot of people's doing cbd oil extracts you know yeah, and i see yeah. that i hear that and uh you know what gets me about the cbd oil extracts i know it's good but what are you doing with your stalks what are you doing with these other things uh because that's a basis for cellulose based fuel that's a basis for plastics and so who's being left out and so in a I don't know what these people are doing with their stalks, you know, that's that's taking the CBD oil extracts. But they need to save these stalks and keep them as dry as they can because this is the future of the industry. If you don't have a continuity of supply to feed the industry that's going to come in and build a $2 million plant, if you don't have these stalks and feed that industry, then they're not going to build it. You've got to have that continuity of supply. Yeah. And that continuity supply, I understand that they've destroyed some hemp stalks. They've burnt some in some areas. And so I don't know what they're doing with the stalks after they strip the CBDs off of it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, is there one last thing you might want to say to the audience on the iHemp Revolution podcast? What would that be? Well, the uh, thing about it is this is a revolution. Uh, stay in touch with your congressmen and your legislators because you can lose them on the next election. And the person that takes their place may not be supportive of this. So get the laws together as a group of people and stand firm with the legislators that are involved in this, that support it. Uh, Mitch McConnell, Rand Paul, Thomas Massey, James Comer. Because if you lose these people, you need to get these laws changed as they come across and hinder the grower. If the grower doesn't take a hold of this, and try to get these laws changed while we've got people in place. You may miss out on the future of this industry, and uh, your next legislator may not be go hardly for it. Okay, well, thank you very much, Greg, for being a guest on the IHAMP Revolution. Part of the IHAMP Revolution Roadshow. Yeah, well, thank you. Th- and thank you, Coach Freddie. It's a pleasure. You know, you're doing good work out here. I want to thank our listeners for tuning in today and make sure that you subscribe to the iHemp Revolution podcast on iTunes or Stitcher Radio. Give us a review and follow us on facebook.com forward slash iHempRevolution. Like us and then tell your friends. Help us spread the word about how using industrial hemp can benefit people, heal the planet, and provide long-term profit. This is your host, 
Coach Freddie, inspiring people to do things that inspire them. And thanks for joining the iHemp Revolution.